20 years ago, Dick and Dom burst onto our screens in the bungalow and brought with them bungalow heads, bogeys and lots of chaos. What more could you want from Saturday Morning Kids TV? Well, now they're bringing back the bungalow for a live tour, promising a nostalgia fest of mayhem. But before that happens, we're going to reminisce about how it all started and why it ended far too soon. So here to talk about their lives after that thing they did, please welcome Dick and Dom. Dick and Dom, or can I call you Rich and Dom? How are you both? Very well, thank you. You can call us Rich and Dom. Yeah, that's our real names. Not many people, you know, people just think we are Dick and Dom. They don't actually know our full real names. It's quite nice. It's kind of happening as we get older. More and more people are calling him Rich and referring to us as Rich and Dom. I think it's it's kind of, it's clear that the the, the Dick and Dom thing was a, an act, very much an act of its time. And, uh, you know, in the same way that Vic Reeves dropped the Vic Reeves and became, you know, Jim Meyer, then, you know, that's kind of that's kind of where we're going now. Rich, you have a baby and she's just turned one. Congratulations. Thank you. And we're recording quite early this morning, so I appreciate you squeezing me in between naps and you're probably very tired. <laughs> How are you coping? Yes, uh, very tired, exactly. No, she she is asleep at the moment. There she is on the baby. I'm showing you the baby monitor at the moment on the court. <laughs> she might wake up at any moment. This is it with babies. You don't know what they're going to do. Actually, she, you don't. Uh, you can't really call her a baby once she's at one year old, apparently. She's now a one-year-old. Oh, really? Yeah. So she's kind of a child. Not a toddler yet, but she's not a baby anymore. But yeah, the baby bit the whole last year was, uh, for anyone who's had kids, I'm sure, as you know, it's uh, it's absolutely manic. And uh, yes, it tires you out, especially at my age, where I'm now mid-40s. I've probably left it a bit too late, to be honest. <laughs> Dom, you're also a dad of two. Your eldest is 14 years old mm. now. Tommy, what tips have you given Rich as an old hand at this? Uh, I think my tips were don't do it, but it was too late by that stage. <laughs> Um, no, I, I have no tips. I kind of, it's all such a blur, I don't remember any of it. I'm still making it up as I go along. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing is that no one can actually fully prepare you and give you, you know, the, the right answers as to what you should and shouldn't be doing because everyone parents so differently. Uh, just be kind. That's all. Good advice. Okay, let's get down to business with some big dick and Dom energy and into the nostalgia zone. Dick and Dom in the Bungalow began in 2002 on the newly launched, at the time, CBBC channel. And it was a bit of a slow burner at first before quickly growing to massive popularity, moving to mainstream BBC One and becoming Saturday morning TV gold. So they say never work with children or animals, but you got up at 5am to do it every weekend and heard around a bunch of kids that had been amped up on Haribo and Coke surely would be a recipe for disaster. How on earth did you manage it? It's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting what you were saying that, you know, it was um, the show was commissioned as a, as a programme to fill some time, really. It was a filler programme because um, the CBBC channel had launched and they'd got hours and hours to fill, especially at the weekend. So uh, the boss commissioned me and Don to do a, a live Saturday morning program uh, between nine and twelve Saturday and Sunday mornings. We were really, you know, we were filling six hours of TV airtime, mm. uh, and it turned it, yeah, it turned into this little monster. It started off as a game show with five bungalow heads, and then it just kind of grew and grew, and and over time the audience just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the BBC decided to put it on Saturday mornings. But how did we get through it? <sighs> I don't know. It was chaos. I think. I think. The way we got through it was because we were riding a wave of adrenaline and momentum 
um, it was clear that as soon as it went on to BBC One, actually it was clear before that, uh, that we were on to a really interesting thing. And so it didn't become a chore waking up at that time in the morning. Every time the alarm went off at that time in the morning, regardless of what time we actually went to bed the night before, <laughs> um, it was just pure joy because all of our friends worked on the show and we knew that this was working. And when you're on board that something's working, it's not a job. It's just fun. So let's talk about some of the games you played over the 700 hours you were in the bungalow, because some of these are now legendary, not just for their names, like What a Sweaty Flap, uh, Make Dick Sick and Pop My Saggy Bags, uh, but for the sheer entertainment value, uh, like Don't Go Daddy, which had bungalow heads cling onto the ankles of the daddies to stop them going to work, Toddler Tug of War <laughs> and Baby Racing, which was genius. Uh, I like to see that on TV now. Uh, was, was alcohol consumed at all when you were coming up with these games? No. No, no. When we were coming up with the games, no. <laughs> we, did, we didn't actually come up with the games. We had a great production team who would sit in this massive open plan office. Uh, but it was an office back in those days where it was just for that program. So now you have open plan for the whole channel. Back then, just the bungalow. And they would just fire off ideas across the office. And sometimes they would come up with ideas in the pub. Sometimes just the producer, Steve, would come up with them um, on his own. He used to actually have a... a a pen and notebook by his bed. So he said actually the best ideas he came up with were ones in the middle of the night, but he would have to wake up and write them down. Otherwise, by the morning, you forgot. And you had a, a baby take their first steps during baby racing. Yeah, so the baby race here, yeah, we had like a, a racetrack laid out on the uh, on the bungalow floor. And then we had, uh, what was it, about five or six babies came in. Yeah. yeah, like you say, you would never see this on TV ever again because you just the thought of having babies racing on a TV show is now, the rule book doesn't allow it. But yeah, uh, one, one day, uh, one of them was just crawling along and then you could just see this movement pushing its arms up, then up goes its legs and into the air it went and started having a little totter. It was great. It was one of those moments where the, the whole bungalow production team all come together and work together really well during live situations. So when that happens, suddenly the sound department find an hallelujah button. They go, hallelujah. And we start going, it's a miracle. And uh, everyone starts cheering. It was, um, it was a wonderful moment. TV gold. And I wonder... If that guy who's a teenager now has got the video footage of him doing his first steps on telly. Yeah, what a place to do it. It's on YouTube, so he can find it if he wants yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Gunge is almost compulsory in a great kids TV show. And in the bungalow, you had your Gunge, which of course was called Creamy Muck Muck, and ended every show with a massive Creamy Muck Muck fight. Yeah. Who was the poor person who had to clean it up after every show? We had a team of guys that came in and, and just went for it. And I think I've got a photo of it somewhere. Yeah, they had like every single cleaning item you could imagine in this big trolley they'd bring in. The first thing they'd do is rip up the carpet, the purple carpet, and literally just bin it. I mean, it was the cheapest car. I mean, it was only about two millimetres thick, you know. Uh, and then relay a new carpet and then just start scrubbing the walls. And oh, it'd take like two hours in between shows. Is it like a crime scene cleanup crew? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, they were. They were all the um, what's what's the um, the suits that you wear, like the chemicals. Yeah, suit. the overalls. Yeah, like a hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah, they they were that. They look like they're from the last scenes on ET, and uh, and they used to just work so hard. The nicest guys you could meet as well. But that was their job to clean up all the dirt. Where's all the guns on TV now? I haven't seen any in ages. No, you don't really see it. Oh, it's probably been cancelled. <laughs> Cancel culture gone. <laughs> Didn't you once block the BBC drains with Creamy Muck Muck as well? We did. Yeah, there was a there was an instance where we had a game where the Creamy Muck Muck was being used and, and we were using hundreds of thousands as well. But if you mix them two together, the hundreds and thousands start to kind of expand 
uh, and they yeah blocked the drains at TV Centre. So we couldn't even have a shower that day, so we had to jump in the cab covered in creamy muck muck, which was nice. You say we had to jump in the cab, we didn't have to get into the cab at all because the cab driver actually refused to take us. Oh, yeah. And so uh, he said, you're not getting my car with all that custard all over you. Get on the central line. So we got the tube home. <laughs> Covered in custard. <laughs> which brings us to the most famous or infamous game of all, bogeys, which for our American friends who may not have seen it, was a game where you'd go to a quiet public place and shout the word, which is the British equivalent of boogers, uh, at increasingly loud volumes until one of you quits over embarrassment. And I think it's fair to say, thanks to that game, you corrupted a generation of kids who went on to disrupt libraries, museums, lessons in class. I mean, that's a legacy, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think it is. It became such a huge catchphrase. You know, everyone's always trying to find a catchphrase and bogeys became ours. And I think it will, yeah, like you say, last forever. We had an article from a, a student in Falmouth uh, and the neighbours are complaining around the area because all they hear all night is these students playing bogeys because, you know, they're, they're the age now where they remember the show and want to start bringing it back again. I don't know if you've ever seen Impractical Jokers, but they played a very similar game. Oh, did they? Did it begin with P, that word? Penis. <laughs> It's fine. You can swear on this. It's fine. We're like, we're over 80s is allowed. I <laughs> know. Uh, we're conditioned to never swear, so we're not allowed to. Yeah, no, we're. I was trying to think of another word beginning with P. And I was like, <laughs> I think actually that game had been around in America for quite some time before Impractical Jokers did it, I think. Um, so to be honest, the, the game of bogeys isn't a new game. It's actually been around for a very long time. In fact, the producer of Dick and Dom and the Bungalow used to play it when he used to work backstage in the wings of a theatre. So he would shout out another B word. Uh, and so he got the idea of bogeys from playing that. So it's been around for quite a while. And it wasn't just kids that watched you. You had a raft of students who also tuned in. And uh, I remember when I first met my husband in 2004, he proudly showed me a video he filmed while on a ski trip a few months before with him and his friends playing bogeys in a restaurant and he won. He was very proud of this. Uh, so he thanks you too for bringing this to... Bravo, bravo. Mass culture. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Um, but the show wasn't without controversy. It was criticised in Parliament for being too crude and Dom, you got into a bit of trouble for wearing a T-shirt that said Morning Wood on it. <laughs> What was your attitude to all that at the time? You seemed pretty fearless. Well, we were. We were fearless. We just didn't care. We just took the brakes off and went with it. And we did what we felt was right at the time. But to be totally honest with you, though, you know, we'd already been in broadcasting for about six years by this stage, seven years. We knew what we were doing. We knew where the lines were. We knew never to cross the line, but we knew how to kind of just step right up to it and, and poke the audience, the ones who got upset easily. Because by doing that, you cause controversy. By causing controversy, you get people to talk. And when people talk, people watch. So uh, we kind of knew what we were doing. It wasn't completely reckless and unprofessional. And the BBC knew this and trusted us. So they let us just get on with it. Yeah, the show took risks. I think that's the main headline. You know, we definitely took risks. But I think, you know, taking risks is a good thing because then you make kind of... Um unique programming in any television you know it doesn't matter whether it's children's or, or prime time or whatever but if you start taking a few little risks it, it becomes something different to everything else that's on tv you know so i think challenging authority was something that we were really up for and all of our favorite comedy prior to us doing dick and dom in the bungalow challenged authority as well you know all um you know ben elton uh you know rick mail all that whole generation of lexi sale that, that kind of generation of comedy that suddenly came forward and challenged things 
we grew up on that kind of stuff. So it was literally transferring that kind of way of thinking in comedy to what we were doing. But despite the criticism, it was an award-winning show. You won two BAFTAs. Mm, yeah, no, amazing times. Mm. You know, not only did the show get transferred to the main channel, BBC One, but yeah, we won two BAFTAs as well. So, you know, a highlight of it. It was right in the middle of the, of the whole run of the bungalow. So uh, we were really happy about that. You had a million kids watching you every weekend. How does it feel being a much-loved part of so many people's childhoods and their memories and being childhood heroes as well? It's definitely quite humbling now because we go out on the on the circuit and we gig a lot and we do uh, a lot of DJ sets. We started DJing because we used to DJ when we shared a flat many years ago on vinyl. So we use that skill now to do a lot of live gigs to students who grew, like you say, grew up with the show. And you kind of, you walk out on stage and they're all just screaming at you. So it kind of humbles you because you go, wow, these, these are the kids that watched it when they were eight years old. And now they're like in their twenties at uni, but they still remember us. So it, you know, it's an amazing feeling that the, the, the audience is still there and they still want to see us. And of course, it was announced recently that the CBBC channel will be closing soon and moving online. Yeah. Uh, and as part, a big part of that history, how do you feel about that? A, to a totally correct decision. In fact, it's one that should have been made uh, probably five to seven years ago uh, because kids stopped watching what you call linear, which is kind of like live-based uh, scheduling, a long time ago, a long, long time ago, they stopped having to watch programmes they didn't like in order to get to the programmes they want to watch. Even though I think there are benefits in that, you've got to move with the times, you've got to move with what everyone's doing. Because if you think, oh no, but I like the children to watch live Blue Peter and they're not watching it, what's the point? You've got to move on. So kids now do watch on demand. They watch what they want on YouTube, what interests them on YouTube. They watch um, stuff on Sky Kids that they like. They watch stuff on Netflix that they like. And I think CBBC, by transferring that way of thinking onto this platform, is the right thing to do. Don't forget, it's not about what platform it's on. It's all about the content. So if you're delivering really good content, then the kids will find it. I think it, it's more our generation, you know, that have, CBBC and Children's BBC lasted so long, what, you know, probably 30 years all in all. And I think our generation are probably a bit like, oh, that's just really sad because, you know, we have so many great memories of that. But like Don was saying, times have changed now. Kids don't sit down and watch a three-hour Saturday morning telly program anymore because they're just distracted by on their phone or their, or their iPod, iPad, something else. You know, something else is going on. Every, every five minutes, they've got some new content. That's just the way it is, though. If, it, if it's longer than five seconds, they won't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, it's time to leave the nostalgia zone and enter what I like to call the latted zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. They say always leave your audience wanting more, and you decided to stop Bungalow after five series at its peak. Why did you decide to do that? Uh, exactly. You've used the word there because it was at its peak. You know, if you leave something at its peak, people want more and they'll remember it forever. And that I think it was the right decision because that's what's happened. People have so many fond memories of it now. I think if we carried on, we were offered two more series. If we'd carried on and done that, you might have got to that second series, you know, extra series, and people might have started going, oh, no, not bogeys again, you know. But I think we stopped at exactly the right time because it, then it disappeared out of people's lives, but then they started going, oh, do you remember that? You know, they, they look back at it with a lot of love now. The thing is, it's hard to tell. You just don't know because, you know, you look at something, no, like, you don't know, you look at sure, something, like, but... something like Celebrity Juice, which is a very similar style of humour for, for kind of millennials as opposed to, to kids. 
And that's run and run and run and run and run. And it just had a little phase of reinvention and it's carried on being very successful. So who knows? If we hadn't quit, we might still be doing it now. God, I don't think so. <laughs> I think everyone knows that it's hard to get into the business, show business, but it's even harder to stay in it, especially long term. But you've managed it together for 25 years. And after the bungalow, you had a raft of projects. You presented Are You Smarter Than a 10-Year-Old? Absolute Genius, which you also won a BAFTA for had a show on Radio 1, voiced Bananas in Pyjamas, made Diddy TV, been in the West End with Spam a lot, theatre tour, podcasts. Mm. How have you navigated the stigma kids TV presenters traditionally have had? Yeah, it's not it's not been easy, I must admit. You have to kind of always keep thinking of ways to reinvent yourself, you know, and that's the, what I was talking about earlier, the DJing. You know, it's, it's a skill we always had and we've, you know, been quite good at. So we've transferred that into our professional life now. But that kind of is a reinvention, so people see you slightly differently again. So that's that's the key, I think, just finding new, different things that you can go out there and do because you can't just be Dick and Dom shouting bogeys for your whole career, you know, even though that's kind of what people remember, but that wouldn't be a longevity if you carried on trying to do that for 20 years, you know. So, for example, someone like Mr Tumble, Justin Fletcher, who, for your American uh, listeners, is a kind of preschool, so a, what is it called, an infant school, um, a performer. He's on telly all the time. So when we go to festivals, he's doing the same show as he has done for 10, 12 years at the same festival, So, which is great. So he is now still in the same bubble and that works really well for him. Um, whereas let's say the festivals that we used to attend uh, 12 years ago and perform, we used to do a kid's show with custard pies and lots of silly things. And now, for example, at, I don't know, at Camp Festival, we're doing Dick and Dom's Massive Rave from 10.30 till 12.30 at night, and we're playing massive trance and house hits in a, in a rave. <laughs> so we've got to keep having to reinvent. And what that does is it keeps the audience uh, interested and it keeps us interested as well. It stops us from going mad and bored. Yeah, that's true. So let's talk a bit about the DJing then. As you said, you were living together while making Bungalow, and it was during that time you bought some decks and started DJing, which kicked off your other career, beginning with DJ sets at universities and then touring around the country, playing clubs and festivals, as you just mentioned. So it must be great catching that audience as they've grown older. What is their reaction to you when... I mean, I guess you've been doing it for quite a while now, but when you first started doing it, what was their reaction of like, Dick and Dom DJing? How does well, this going to work? exactly that. I think people thought we were going to come out, come out and start playing kids' TV theme tunes. But uh, then we then they realised when halfway through the set, we dropped some drum and bass and they go, okay, I get it. Um, you know, we've been doing the same festivals each year in, year out, and you get the same crowd and it gets bigger and bigger each year because I think word gets round that, you know, our DJ sets aren't a Dick and Dom kids' DJ set there actually uh you know full on DJ for the whole family though the whole family can enjoy it because it's just you know it's great music but we got a bit of an eclectic set and we play a bit of everything you know drum and bass indie rock you name it we play it onto a bit of life stuff uh Dom as we said you have two sons and have been married since 2005 which I imagine is making some people feel quite old right now um, and I know it's the normal passage of time uh, but you must get people saying that they're surprised you're in your 40s now as if you're Peter Pan or something yeah it's it's, it's um I think it's a compliment <laughs> that people just when they meet you say oh my god you're the same you just haven't aged <laughs> so I haven't seen the bald spot in the back of my head though yeah trying to keep youthful <laughs> is important because I mean, it's such a fickle thing to come out with, but it's true from a brand perspective. You've got to try and keep looking the same 
as people remember you looking years ago. There's nothing worse than if people meet us and we look knackered and bald and grey. <laughs> we have actually said to each other, we might not continue DJing after the age of 50 because it could look a bit weird to really old men behind the decks doing uh, trying to play drum and bass. How old's Norman Cook? He must be over 50. Exactly. Oh, that's true. Yeah, fat boy slip. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so like a proper grown-up, Dom, uh, you started renovating your house two years ago when lockdown yeah. first began and you've been doing it all yourself and documenting it on Instagram, House of Wood. Mm. Uh, tell me a bit about why you decided to do it and could this be a pivot into home improvement TV presenting? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but but it, it happened because I've always been into DIY and renovating. Um, myself and Rich, you know, when we were doing very well during the bungalow, we actually invested in, in properties. And my father-in-law, who's a great friend of mine, uh, was a renovator as well and, and just jack of all trades, a master of all trades. And he would teach me how to, how to renovate properties. And then lockdown happened and um, we, we just moved into a probate house, this house, which was absolutely, I mean, it was knackered. Um, and then we couldn't get any trade to come into the house to do anything. Also, we didn't have any spare money to do anything because all my savings from when we moved into this, the equity, that we were going to be using to do it up, suddenly had to be spent on living off because we had no income, literally no income. A couple of bits, but really generally nothing. <laughs> and um, and so I just rolled up with Steve and said to, to my wife, right, I'm just going to do it. Here we go. And she said, why don't you just chuck it on Instagram so our family and friends can all see what's going on? So I did it and there was never any big grand plan, but it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And to be honest, I'm, I'm going to be doing it anyway, still doing the renovations myself. So I'm just film it whilst I'm doing it. Just kind of, kind of works. It's quite interesting for nosy people. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your most satisfying project you've done in the house so far? Uh, satisfying project, maybe the garden. That was massive project. Um, no, 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 I think... Uh, putting this new staircase in <laughs> which was which was very satisfying because it was just just had panels up the side you know 1970s when they have paneling instead of spindles uh and i just went oh, i'm just going to knock this out now so i smashed it out and uh and then i went oh god what do i do now i don't know what to do and so i just went to b and q which was one of the only places that was open during lockdown and just bought myself a banister set and just kind of put the whole thing up <laughs> you can teach yourself anything at any age i think Rich, you've um, helped raise a lot of money over the past decade for Alzheimer's and dementia charities. And you ran the London Marathon last year. You cycled London to Paris, trekked the Great Wall of China. Um, and you have a very personal link for doing so because your mum was diagnosed with a rare form of the disease, frontotemporal dementia, when she was just 58 back in 2004, which was when you were still presenting Bungalow. Yes, it was. I know. Yeah. I mean, you look back now and you go, oh, wow, that was a crazy period of life because not only were we doing a really popular live TV show every week and going around the country filming all week long, I was having to deal with the fact that my mum, yeah, had been diagnosed with a, well, a terminal disease, really. Yes. She got, a, like you said, a, a very rare form of dementia and early onset as well. Yeah. Only 58. So, yeah, there was a lot going on in that period. It was definitely a, a crazy time. Uh, and my mum actually, you know, we cared for her for a good six years. She passed away in 2010. So that's the thing. Dementia, you know, it doesn't just take you immediately. It, it, it's a long process, to, you know, of caring for someone and, and, and they go downhill over the years. So, yeah, 2010, she uh, passed away, sadly. That must have been extremely hard 
being at the peak of Bungalow's popularity, having to go to work and be zany and entertaining when behind the scenes you were probably really struggling with what was happening with your mum? Yeah, no, completely. And I think there, there was a period, like you said, that was 2004, and there was a period in 2005 where I decided, right, I've just got to get out of here. And, and I went to travel. I did a bit of travelling. just needed to go and clear my head a bit, really. Um, came back with uh, long hair and a long beard, uh, which Dom found very funny. Um, <laughs> Forrest Gump, I'm imagining. Pretty, you know, well, don't don't joke. I think I did look like Forrest Gump. Um, but yeah, you know, things like that. I had to do something like that just for for my for myself because yeah, it was it was a difficult period of time. Mm. Both um, both myself and my husband did DNA tests earlier this year to trace our heritage and also did the extra thing where you can test for genetic markers for certain diseases. And my husband has the genetic marker for Alzheimer's, right? Um, which didn't come as a massive shock because mm-hmm. his grandmother, who he sadly lost last year, had quite severe vascular dementia. Mm-hmm. So we're acutely aware that it will likely happen to him Mm. at some point. Um, And you've sadly lost other family members to the disease Mm. since your mum too. So are are you also acutely aware of that genetic link for you? Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, we lost, uh, sadly lost my mum and then we lost my mum's sister all at the same age and my mum's brother. So three uh, of that generation. And and before that, it came from my grandfather. So yeah, I am totally aware that that, that I think there's a very strong chance that it could be a genetic thing that runs in the family but you know it's not something you want to think about every day is it you know but um you d- i think you do have to be aware that it, it could be a, an issue in a, you know in a few years time well on to something a bit more cheery let's talk about now you're celebrating the 20th anniversary of in the bungalow by bringing it back to life with a big live tour so what can people expect everything that people loved and remembered about the show will be there on stage i think it's going to kind of blow people's minds a bit you know a nostalgia fest um, Dick and Dom of the Blungalow, 20 years live anniversary tour. Yeah, we start in September. And, uh, well, we haven't even written the script yet, so we best get to it. <laughs> but the thing is, it kind of it kind of writes itself, really, because people will be turning up expecting there to be exactly what they used to watch on telly. So essentially, all we need to do is watch an episode and do that on stage. But it's also it's going to be mad for us as well, because... You know, the first thing we used to do was some lift doors used to open and we used to come out and there used to be no noise because it was a TV crew. No one makes noise, right? Uh, whereas now the lift doors are going to open. There's going to be a packed audience. We hope packed. Uh, packed audience just full of people going nuts. So it's going to be a great experience for everyone, for us as well. You sound like you're speaking to us on a telephone now, Dom. Yeah, you sound different now. <laughs> Not even a mobile. Sounds like a wired, an old wired telephone. <laughs> yes, I do sound different. That's because I'm now speaking down the end of a 1970s telephone. I think you need to take your AirPods back to Apple and get a refund. From a pay, from a pay phone, so run out of uh, run out of data. <laughs> we will persevere. Um, I read uh, an interview with you from a few years ago where you said you were unlikely to bring back Bungalow for TV because it would be too much pressure to match nostalgic expectations. So what's changed now for the live tour? What we probably meant back then was that, it, that this TV show wouldn't be uh, allowed on television anymore, which is why we've why we've taken it to the theatres instead, because then we don't have any uh, rule books to abide to. I think if you tried to put a show like that on TV now, which is really sad, because you know TV need, probably needs a bit more irreverent kind of comedy on there and and and, and magazine style programmes. But yeah, I don't think you'd get away with some of the stuff, sadly. Will you be putting out a warning before shows saying don't wear anything you don't want covered in creamy muck muck? <laughs> uh, no, we're not. We're not really allowed to use uh, custard in a lot of the theatres. Sadly, 
because uh, a lot of them are very, very old theatres, uh, historical theatres that have lovely velvet curtains and lovely velvet seats. And we would be paying out a lot of money if we suddenly had to pay for the cleaning bill. Can you not just like cover it all in plastic? Like a crime scene, literally. <laughs> <laughs> might have to. Yeah, we're actually still looking at the uh, creamy muck muck game. How to do it? We might have to some some kind of maybe crystal maze kind of globe that people go into and get muck mucked or something. It's going to have to be contained a bit. <laughs> oh, so you said you have not written the scripture. Do you think you will just be winging it every night? No, no. There will there will be. I mean, you know, if you go if you go back to the actual TV show back in the day, the there was a script, but it was more of a format point kind of script. So you know, you'd have bullet points of what's next, and we'd kind of ad lib around it. And I think the theatre show will be on a similar line to that because, as you know, once you get contestants on stage, you don't know what's going to happen. And these are the contestants that were eight years old when they watched it that are now in their 20s or 30s. And uh, I think they're going to be quite up for it because they might have had a couple of cheeky beers beforehand as well. And we've had a crappy two years, so who doesn't want to have fun now? Yes. <laughs> well, I think the, time, is the timing is pretty, um, pretty good. I think people are going to really, really need a, a proper laugh and a nostalgia hit. Do you know what? I, we, um, I took my family to see Back to the Future, um, the musical in, in the West End. And it just, just as a grown adult, over the, uh, having dealt with everything over the past 18 years, it just made me regress and feel really happy. And I think if we can try and tick those boxes, then that would be great for everyone. You missed the bit that you were crying, Dom, towards the end. Oh, I did. I know. I think I cried four times during it. Four times? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The car was definitely the star. I saw it at the musical as well a couple of weeks ago. It was really enjoyable. My goodness, what a show. Wasn't it great? And I was in like the fourth row as well. So I don't want to spoil it for people, but if you're in the fourth row, it's pretty good. At oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, okay. I get the gist. Yeah, I'm going to have to go and get some tickets for that. <laughs> um, just before we go, I spotted you've also done corporate gigs uh, over the past few years. What are those like? I'm imagining people in formal wear playing bogeys. <laughs> uh, we've always done corporate gigs it's been something we've always done which you know can go from after dinner speaking to uh you know hosting events we've always done it and it's really really good it's probably the only time in the year you'll see us in a suit <laughs> the, the thing with corporate gigs is uh, it's kind of another what we were saying earlier about reinventing ourselves and stuff people don't know all the other skills we have now dom is actually a magician a one young magician of the year in the uk in 1992 um so we we went to a corporate and we actually did a uh, a big magic illusion um it's like a double let's say me and dom did a bit, a bit of both each and, and we sawed the ceo of Domino's uh in half so uh <laughs> you know it's another string to our bow have you been let back in the magic circle dom since you no no uh, <laughs> they um they kicked me out for revealing how to do magic on the bungalow. We used to have this segment where we used to teach people how to do tricks. And they uh, they got in a really bad mood and they threw me out. And um, and now they're begging me to go back, but I can't be bothered. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you know who I am? I'm too good for you now, Magic Circle. <laughs> I always found it. It's, it's, a very, it's a very weird world. You know, people who have a living doing magic tricks, um, it's, it's quite a, a strange world. But... Um, not ever, there's some lovely people within the magic fraternity, but there's certainly a lot of weirdness as well. <laughs> uh, and last question, Dom, are you bummed, no pun intended, uh, that you're no longer the world record holder for putting on the most pairs of underpants in a minute? Mm. And do you have any plans to try and regain your title? Am I not? Ouch. No, the record's now 36. What about my ones? I've got my certificates on, the, on my toilet wall. I've got the most baked beans eaten with a cocktail stick. Um, the most, um, you know, those pretend glass bottles smashed over my head. 
Um, what was the other one? You, didn't you have a watermelon one, Don, where you went to headbutt watermelons? I did, but I chucked them all in the skip, so I don't know. don't know where they are. Mm. I'm afraid to say that you're both no longer the record holders of the records that you used to hold. Oh. Because uh, I did a search on the Guinness Book of Records website, and, and I'm afraid your, your, your titles have all been superseded. Oh, I'll take them down off the toilet wall now, then. <laughs> the content for the tour then doesn't it yeah you should yeah so you could try the there's a um a new uh, another underpants record which is a 30 second record most pairs put on in 30 seconds and that's only 13 pairs of pants so i feel like maybe you could feasibly try that on tour oh smash that i might do that later <laughs> upstairs after this well me and my husband went through a, a phase of trying to break world records uh, early on in our relationship. This was before YouTube for entertainment, bear in mind. Uh, so we were deprived for entertainment. Um, he went for the eating challenges. Yeah. And he actually equaled the record for eating the most jam donuts, sugar jam donuts, without licking your lips um, in a minute. Oh, that, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, without you licking, yeah, we've, tr- we've tried that one before. Not easy, that. But I failed miserably. I tried uh, spinning coins, like spinning mm-hmm. coins on their edge. There's like the most spinning coins you could get going in for the longest time yeah yeah it was like seven coins at the same time for 27 seconds or something and then oh i failed miserably but still it was nice to have a goal uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah maybe bring bring back some for the, the live tour some of the uh especially the eating challenges they would be very entertaining to watch i'm sure yeah they're good call might well do that i think the the yeah, the audience would be well up for that i think that'd be, that's a great idea thanks for that <laughs> you're welcome one of one of the most difficult ones dom had to do was drinking two liters of pop you know fizzy pop in like a minute or something oh it was awful and i think you barfed didn't you oh, it was awful. you threw up in the corner of the no, bungalow it was uh how many liters is one of those big bottles of like fanta or something like that two liters yeah, yeah it's two, two liters, liters in it yeah with a straw i had to drink that it was awful it was oh yeah with awful. a straw that was it yeah, yeah. it's not as i thought oh, this would be easy here we go but no it wasn't <laughs> Like, especially if you're like me, I'm like a pigeon. I can't burp, like physically. I'm unable to do it. So when I drink fizzy drinks, it's a quite a painful experience for me. Ouch. <laughs> How funny. My wife My wife is exactly the same. She cannot burp. Can't imagine that. How funny. <laughs> oh, Richard and Dom, it's been brilliant chatting with you both. Best of luck with the 20th anniversary tour and see you on the road. Thank you very much. Yeah, I best go because the money's running out of my payphone now, so best go. <laughs> uh, cheers, Genevieve. Bye. Huge thanks again to Rich and Dom for joining me and for persevering after the technical gremlins we encountered. The Dick and Dom in the Bungalow 20th Anniversary Tour kicks off in September and you can get tickets at myticket.co.uk. But don't worry if your town isn't on the list of stops at the moment, the tour will continue in 2023. All the info and dates are in the show notes. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Celebrity Catch-Up. As I always say, I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from, so thank you so much for choosing this one. If you'd like to support the show, please visit celebritycatchup.com where you can donate. But the biggest way you can help is by just not keeping the podcast to yourself. Please share it with a friend or on social media so that others can discover and enjoy it too. Hit that follow button on your podcast player, Twitter or Instagram. Leave a nice review. All that stuff massively helps me out and keeps the podcast going. And it lets me know you're enjoying it too. So until next time, thanks for listening.